We, as the Gaudiya, Gaudiya Vaishnavas and Gaudiya Vaishnav lineage, a particular Bhakti lineage, Krishna Bhakti lineage, lineage following the, uh, the precept, the example of Sri Chaitanya, the um, incarnation of Krishna in the Kali Yuga, celebrated in the sacred texts. He's given a certain practice to... Uh, embrace whereby the in due course we can enter into that all attractive lila of Radha and Krishna. So we go this morning to the thirty third chapter of the tenth canto. And this is the last chapter of the five most significant chapters, in a sense, Ras Panchajai, the chapters that speak about the consummation of the love of Radha and Krishna. In the context of the Leela, Radha and Krishna have met, and... um, Exchanged glances and and some promise was there in the Vastraharna Lila on the part of Krishna and so in Rasa Lila the the meeting the, the promise is all consummated in a relationship in the forest. This is philosophically speaking, theologically speaking, the the the, the union the union of love and the object of love. Rasaraj Mahabhav Duyek Rupa. So Krishna is Rasaraj, the king of love, of Rasa. And Radha is Mahabhav, the personification of that love. He's the perfect object of love, she's the embodiment of, of the love. So the two meet. <clears throat> Rasaraj Mahabhav Duyek Rupa. The two to become one. Hmm? And of course, Sri Chaitanya is the one that comes out of that in the appearance in Kali Yuga. Hmm? Radha and Krishna combined. Rupanuga Janera Jivan. What is it? Um, hmm. The life and soul of the Rupanuga devotees. That, uh, how does that go? Uh, anyway, that. Uh, uh, that Krishna and Radha have combined in one in the form of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. <coughs> so speaking about his descent, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's descent, uh, Krishna's Kaviraj invokes a verse from this chapter of Rasa Lila, hmm, which in one sense talks about the, the highest um, ideal, the highest prospect of the jiva, how to attain a dynamic union with Krishna, following in the footsteps of the example of perfect love, Sri Radha, who is both deity and and example of devotion for us both. Krishna is deity, <laughs> but he's not an example of devotion. Radha is the example of devotion. But as Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, he's both combined. 
So this shouldn't be neglected. All attention should be given there. And and as I say, Krishna's cover are speaking about the descent of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Mm-hmm. Has to speak about it in relation to Krishna's descent, because he is Krishna. Mm-hmm. He has to speak about what happened in the leela of Krishna when that le- he descended in that leela and in the um, during the Ras uh, circle of of love that 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 the union that consummation of the love and Radha and Krishna, what happened there that gave birth to the appearance of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So in the context of explaining these esoteric uh, details, he cites a verse from Srimad Bhagavatam. We're going to discuss it today in relation to Janimastami. And as it comes at the end of the Rasa Leela, which is a difficult um, Leela to understand, and so the king, Raj, Pariksha, the emperor, really, after hearing about it, he has some questions. Krishna's the, uh, the uh, prince of Dharma and, uh, and um, the fountain of religious principles and, and so on and so forth. And then the Lili appears to be breaking them. It's an appearance of such. So it's hard to understand. Love, as I've said before, wants to share itself, but it finds in the context of doing so that it can't share itself with everyone. Everyone's not appreciative or qualitative. They don't, they're not sympathetic. So it tends to also at the same time to hide itself. It wants to share itself and it camouflages itself hmm? in such a way that only those who really want to understand, who have a sympathetic heart can understand it, and others will not. So. In one sense, this Rasalila is the real is is a is an extreme camouflaging of absolute selflessness because it looks like complete selfishness. The gopis, Radha and Gop and other maidens, they left the dead of night, answering to the sound of Krishna's flute. They left their families. Their some had children, husbands, it's thought, and so forth. And uh, the village reputation was at stake. Uh, everything would, would, the village would be blemished. They would be blemished socially, religiously, spiritually. They went hmm, to meet the boy in, 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 on the moonlit harvest night, as it was. Hmm? Harvest moon, autumn season, uh, Sarat Purnim. It's a romantic time. Uh, so. Uh, they appeared very selfish. They didn't think about anything but their desire. It's called Kamanug, following the desire. But what? But their desire was really to unite with God. Hmm? He's appearing in human-like form, but he's not. And so many leelas demonstrate that he's not. So then it has to be seen in context. So anyway, the king is hearing this, and understandably, he has over. He has some questions. So this is one of the one of the verses in which uh, Sukadev who's narrator here of the Bhagavatam. He's a naked boy of 16 years old. Naked means that he was completely oblivious to the external world. Hmm? So what is someone who's completely oblivious to the external world doing talking about the love affairs of young boys and girls? Obviously, he wasn't interested in that at all. So this may have an appearance of such, but it's very different. Hmm? 
Any yogi can come and say, I'm Krishna, and this is my Radha, and these are my gopis, and so forth. But but he has to do more than produce a gold watch or something like that. Uh, you know, his miracle to con- to, st- to live up to the standard of Krishna's Aishwarya. So again, the Madhurya, the sweetness, the human likeness of Krishna in his Leela that makes him look almost like or- an ordinary person in a sense, is appears on the backdrop of his Aishwarya. And this book is, the author is a speaker and author constantly walking a tightrope between Aishwarya and Madhurya so that Madhurya can be properly understood, not misunderstood. It's like if you take a valuable jewel and you put on a black backdrop. Oh, it shines out so much more. So this Aishwarya is the backdrop on which the Madhurya is to be showcased. And we find in Krishna Leela and in the Vrindavan Leela, for that matter, the most Aishwarya, more than in Dwarka, more than in Vaikuntha, more than any other avatar, and more sweet as well. So, it's not just anybody can say, yes, I bought an island in Fiji and I'm Krishna, and uh, these are all my devotees, and husbands, please send your wives over to me tonight, and uh, this kind of thing. No, in fact, I mentioned the other day there was a fellow who had done this, worth repeating, in Jagannath Puri about a hundred years ago. And uh, he claimed that he was Vishnu, and he had a friend he claimed was Brahma, and one was Shiva, and they had mystic powers and so forth. And so um, the Vishnu was tell- threatening the village people, village husbands, if you don't send your wives to me, in a, uh, then I'll... Uh, you'll experience my wrath. And he had like mystic power, so he could do different things, so he intimidated them. But Bhaktivinoda, who's a great Vaishnava, kind of like the, the grandfather of a great-grandfather of our uh, lineage, he was uh, at that time a magistrate, devotee and a magistrate. He, didn't, didn't, uh, he was so powerful in his devotion that he could have a worldly uh, occupation and it wouldn't in any way interfere with the measure, the intensity of his devotion. This, is the, this also speaks to us of the power of bhakti. Mm. Yoga, for example, Ashtanga Yoga, people tend to render it in creative ways, but one of the, uh, you know, the yama niyama, the do's and the don'ts of the Yoga Sutra is brahmacharya. It will be rendered like sexual restraint or something like that, or after very, very creative ways <laughs> that people have rendered it to take, the, that really take the whole spirit out of it altogether. The real point is that to practice Astanga Yoga, uh, one is supposed to practice celibacy, so it's not an easy path. Bhakti is an easier path. You don't have to practice celibacy to practice bhakti, but that speaks not of the 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 um, weakness of bhakti, but of its strength, her strength. Hmm? So you can be vihe thako vane thako, bhakti vinod saying sada hari bole thako. You can be a householder or live in the forest as a monastic, and by always chanting the name of Krishna, still you can progress nicely. And in the grihastha ashram, you can. And make more devotees, <laughs> so to speak, <laughs> through procreation. 
raise them nicely, and so on. So this is the, the strength of bhakti, the power of bhakti. Hmm? She doesn't require that the heart is pure before she goes in there. Jnan, on the other hand, real spiritual knowledge will wait until the heart is purified to go in. So what is the power of bhakti? That she goes in the impure heart, purifies the heart, and then remains there as well for the after effect. So she is not just a liberator which cleanses the heart of the karmic implications that are constitute our bondage, but um, she does that and more. She dwells forever in our heart and we have a place by her grace in the Leela. Principal means of bhakti in Kali Yuga is the chanting, and it's said that Krishna Nam is, is so generous. Krishna, in the form of his name, is so generous. He goes in the heart and takes the role of a sweeper first, to sweep out all the dust and dirt of material desire and so forth, make it a clean place, and then he sits on the altar of our heart. <coughs> so, anyway, Bhakti Vinoda, as a magistrate and a great devotee, he he could understand. He, he understood who is Krishna. Hmm? Like I was speaking last night, Puja Patridamar speaking about the difference between some people's so-called devotion and actual devotion, and some symptoms by which we can tell who's actually approaching that um, that uh, high ideal of lila, and it's a very high thing. Hmm? If uh, karma is on the low end of negative numbers, as I say, of exploitation. We've taken, therefore we owe, and birth after birth we come and go. We come to negative numbers, like the Buddha or the Gani, to zero, or we come from negative numbers, I say, should I say, to zero. There's some kind of fullness in that. But the positive numbers, then, this is uh, something extraordinary. The, not only the liberating effect of bhakti, but the post-liberated reality of bhakti, kind of a diversity within the unity of of uh, non-dual consciousness. And in that, then, so many levels of penetration into transcendence. And when we come to this Krishna Leela, it reaches its pinnacle, kind of, because we see the measure, the extent to which this, the Atma can meet with the Paramatma. Hmm? Such that the, the, the Paramatma, the Supreme Soul, Bhagwan, I mean, he takes on a human-like form so that the finite can get close to the infinite. It's a very extraordinary thing. It's the, it's the power of devotion. Hmm? So he had real understanding of kind of like scientific in the bhakti terms, the science of bhakti, the understanding of Krishna. He could understand this character was a total imposter. There are many ways one can get powers. Hmm? Powers are a small thing not of much uh, mystic powers of any concern to us. And whatever mystic power anyone can display by their yogic prowess and so forth is insignificant to Yogeshwara. He's addressed in Gita as Yogeshwara, Jatra Yogeshwara, oh, Krishna, hmm? the master of mystic power. So these, you know, we talked about the killing of the demons and the Leela and so forth. These are all ways of demonstrating the, the yogic mastery, if you will, of, of Krishna. This, this is not some small power. Devotees don't take much stock in that. Just to sidetrack for a moment, uh, 
uh, I mentioned the Kumbh Mela, and we're going to be showing a film on the Kumbh Mela um, at big festival every 12 years. So it's, it's a famous festival. And um, sadhus of all types and bogus sadhus as well will come there and, and try to demonstrate their spirituality and so forth. There's an old, old story of Kumbh Mela in times gone by. Hmm? And um, and so different different uh, sadhus were showing their spiritual pr- prowess and one fellow walked on the water. Hmm? That's pretty good. Uh, we don't see that at today's Kumbh Mela. It's Kali Yoga things. The power of the yogis has been diminished primarily because yoga is not the dharma or Kali Yuga, not Ashtanga Yoga. <laughs> it may have its place for some of us in some respect, but it is, it, but Bhakti and Kirtan, this is the Yuga Dharma, so it has strength. Hmm? We find weak yogis, they don't, they, they have a little something that produce a gold nugget or if they have anything in a Prapti city, it means you can take, this is just an outer form. Hmm? of the working sense, for example, of of the arm hmm? as a subtle form and it can be extended to a distant place and pick up something. Hmm? And then the manifest is called prapti siddhi, lagima siddhi, to become lighter than like the air, then you can walk on the water. Hmm? Like it said that Jesus walked on the water, lagima siddhi. So anyway, this yogi showed Lagima City and everyone was impressed. They said, he's, he's attained. So, But there was one Vaishnav devotee and he wasn't impressed. So they said, you haven't done anything special. Why are you not impressed? And he said, well, I don't do anything special. I, I, I just serve, that's all. Hmm. Of course, that's pretty special because the whole world is based on an enjoying ego, hmm? a taking ego to maintain my false sense of identity based on my bodily identification. And if we forego the taking, then we we stop doing harm, but I don't know how much good we've done. Is that the full face of love, to stop taking? This is gyan. Karma means to take. Gyan means stop taking. We're taking because we think that by engaging with objects of the world, I'll find happiness. I'm I'm trying to find enduring happiness, but I'm trying to find it in relation to things that don't endure. So this is ignorance. So knowledge means the knowledge, the understanding, the real... I mean, I'm giving you the understanding theoretically, but to have it, hmm? and then not interact with with temporary things in pursuit of enduring happiness. That's smart. Hmm? This is how where we differentiate between the, the PhD or the Western philosopher mind, you know, just going wild on its own, think as much as you want and so forth. Hmm? Think, Try to think yourself into this. Hmm? There are a few. You know, you had the Schopenhauer and going a little bit in that direction, Socrates from the Greeks and so forth. And they came to Vedanta. Hmm? It's not even easy to think about because it just goes so much against the current of the way in which we're moving hmm, in life. 
Um, and then to think about it in such a way that you could actually apply it and change your life, that's even harder. There was another scientist, what was his name? Schrodinger, was it Schrodinger? He was a Vedantist too, but he couldn't practice. Hmm? Was it Schrodinger? I, th I think so. At any rate, it's, uh, it's, it's just to think about it requires some, some power. Hmm? But to apply it, but even if we do, this this knowledge as to, well, I'm in pursuit of enduring happiness. I can't get it in relation to things that don't endure, so I stop. This is like coming from the negative numbers, as I said, to zero, and sit peacefully. This is not taking, but it's not loving either. It's somewhere kind of uh, in between. So to go to the other side, this is Vaishnavism. This is a very high... Um, kind of ideal. So, at any rate, the Vaishnav, he said, all I do is serve. Hmm? If, you, if, you, if you take and you acquire in a big way, people will think, well, that's special. He's got things. He's famous. He's wealthy. He's, he, huh? and, uh, and in the karma mark, you can practice in such a way, I don't mean karma yoga, but karma means by performing different sacrifices and so forth, conducting oneself according to certain rules, one can, nature can start to um, reciprocate favorably in terms of things, and you can get you can acquire materially in ways that you might not otherwise through a kind of piety. Hmm? You can go to heavenly, you know, celestial realms and so forth. Of course, you have to come down from there again, but you can acquire, and so. The karma marg, there's things, tangible things that people have. Hmm? And there's a power to that in a sense, and it's attractive. Hmm? It's overtly look, looks like there's somebody different. He's got a big house on the hill. Wow. And then you have the other side, the jnani, the yogi. He's got nothing. He's standing on one leg only and uh, you know, one arm out like this for the last 10 years. And people think, man, he's got, he's, he's got something there. Hmm? Right. He, he's, what he's got is the knowledge that, that well, maybe, but uh, to some extent, anyway, that, that, that acquiring things is not very, is not to get any, it's actually to go into debt. Hmm? The more we acquire from the world, the more we take, the more debt we incur. Hmm? Karma is full of taking, but there's, pay, there's repayment also to be had, uh, to be, uh, to, 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 uh, you have to answer to that. So, anyway, the devotee in the Kuma Mail, he said, well, it's not very fascinating to me. And No, I'm not doing anything. I'm just serving, that's all. But just serving, that's a big thing. And what I'm saying is like, to give up taking is one thing. You can exercise your head in such a way as to understand that's not in my interest. I want enduring happiness. It's not in my interest to engage in pursuit of that, in relation to things that don't endure. Hmm? So, it's not in my interest. Therefore, I'm not going to do that. Hmm? You could kind of think your way into that, when with some this spiritual discipline, as, as well, of course. But what does that really say? There's a kind of selfishness in that, because... I'm not doing it because it's not going to make me happy. Hmm? Mm -hmm. 
I found out it makes me unhappy. The more I acquire things, the more I acquire debt. Looks like I've got a lot of money, but I owe interest. I owe more than, than, than what I got. It's like borrowing money from the bank. Hmm? The more we engage karmically. So, it's like, that's not good for me. That's, I'm going to stop that. Hmm? Not easy to do, but he does that. She does it. Stops that. So, why? What's the motive? Because it's not going to do anything good for me. So now you think about that. I'm not going to take, is one thing. I'm going to serve. Well, that's a whole other thing. If you wanted to take your karmic problems and then do away with them, you dig a hole and put them all inside. Then cover it over the top. Hmm? Right? But in the bhakti school, the, the idea is we'll dig a hole, but for, for a reason. We're going to build a temple, and we'll throw this stuff in the bottom anyway, in the foundation. Then we'll cover it all, and we'll build a temple on top of it. You understand? We don't just dig the hole and bury the stuff. We build a temple on top of it, and it'll never come up again. Hmm? It'll never come up again, because the problem is taking. Hmm? The solution is serving, not not taking. Hmm? Simply not taking without developing a serving ego will not be sufficient. Therefore, when Prikit Maharaj was schooled by Sukadev later in, in earlier in Bhagavatam in sixth canto and tested his student, he 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 asked that uh, I think that by performing pious activities, you can do away with the negativity in your life. And the king said, I don't think that's right. It's like an elephant who goes and bathes, and then he goes and rolls in the sand again. So you perform pious activities, and then again you do impious activities. It's bad. This is the karma mark. Hmm? He said, very good. Well, then I think that by gyan, we'll solve the problem. He said, that's like, you know, like, like if you take bamboo and you cut off the top, then the roots are still there. Is there a chance it'll come back up again? Gyan alone. Therefore, Abhishuddha Buddhaya Vimukta Maniya. Without bhakti factored into, without some serving, it will, it will come up again. Arya Kachena Parama Padam Tada Patanti Again, bamboo shoots will come up. So, if you really want to solve the problem of being a taker, which is the material ego, you become a server not just a non-taker. That's kind of an in-between uh, position. So the devotee, the Kumamil says, well, yeah, you know, uh, all I do is serve. That's right, no big thing. But it's a big thing. Hmm? If you can say, well, I tried to take everything and enjoy everything in the world, didn't work, so I'm not going to do anything anymore. It's like a child says, I want this, I want that. Hmm? Mother says, no, you can't have that. No, you can't have that. They say, well, if I can't have it, then I'm not going to do anything. <laughs> I'll sit and stare at the wall. Something like that. So this is how we look. Both these paths are a little immature from the perspective of bhakti. Childish, I want, I want, I want. This is the karma mark. Make a bargain with God and you give me that. Give me my bread. Give me this. Give me, uh, give me a good wife. Give me a good husband. Give me a good son. Give me a good daughter. Give me a better job. Go to church and pray for all the... Send me to heaven, and so forth. 
It's very self-centered. We want God as our order supplier, and we're willing to put a quarter in the machine, and we expect it, you know, a million dollars to come out. <laughs> Something like that. Huh? We're not going to get very close to God. That's like God. You're asking God for material things, and he thinks, my God, you're not material, and you want material things. All right, well, there's a method for that. You can have them, but how close are you going to get to yourself even with the speak of God? Hmm? So this is a very childish idea. And then the, the reverse of that, well, it's a little, you know, something to it, but it's kind of like the pouting. Okay, if I can't have it, then I won't do anything. Hmm? I won't get my hand slapped. Okay, I'll just sit here then hmm? for taking. No, you can't take that. All right, then I won't take it. I'll just say, I won't do anything then. How's that? I won't get my hand slapped. This is fine. I won't do anything. So I will just sit. Hmm. So anyway, the devotee idea, the devotional idea is that there is, we have, it's, I'll give you another example. Let's say you, um, let's say you, you're a criminal. So you took, now you stole, now you got to go to jail. Hmm. Now you're in jail for a while and you're getting tired of that. So, you know, you, you, you make a, you dig a hole, you make a break. You try to get out. So you're out in the free world, but you got to look over your shoulder all the time. Something like that. Hmm? Because what you have to do is integrate with the society. There are duties that you have to perform. You have to serve the government or whatever, or the society in some way. You can't just be kind of in the society, but not in the society. So the long arm of the law will arrest you in due course, therefore, again, by this, this uh, without, in other words, there is a Godhead, and he, he, the Godhead is the center, and the center should be served. So if I want to circumvent the serving to avoid the problem that I've incurred by taking, hmm, it may appear that I've circumvented it for some time, to some extent, and it, and by not taking, I could become Powerful in so many ways, but not powerful enough to overcome the whole affair. Hmm? I may deceive myself and others for some time, but by serving by bhakti, that you have standing in that world hmm? beyond the sky. So, anyway, the devotee said, "Yeah, I'm just serving. That's all. It's, that's true. It's not a big thing, hmm? but it is a big thing. Hmm? A full-scale, wholesale." conversion of the of the ego and it goes like this from taking to not taking which we accomplish in the context of bhakti hmm, to giving dutifully from exploitation to um, self-sacrifice self-sacrifice means I will consciously sacrifice myself. It's the right thing to do hmm? for Vishnu, hmm? for the center. Hmm? Because there is a center and I should sacrifice myself for the center. Therefore, I'll do it. Hmm? This is good, but beyond, we're talking beyond this. When we come to Krishna Bhakti and what's being discussed in this verse, we something more than that. We call it Rag Bhakti. Hmm? It means... They've forgotten themselves, self-forgetfulness. If the gopis had thought, what will become of me for doing this? Then they think, oh, the whole the dharma will come down on me. And so, no, they forgot themselves. Not with the calculation, I should do it because it's the right thing to do. But just like you are identified with your body, and if someone, if you stub your toe, you go, oh, 
You don't think, my toe has been stubbed, there's a pain, it's shooting through my leg. Hmm? Maybe I should grab it and say, ouch. <laughs> you know, there's no thinking involved. So, brain-dead bhakti, that's what we want. We have to think a lot about this. Hmm? And then let the heart kill the brain altogether. Hmm? This calculation is the whole problem. Maya means to count. So to try to count, to calculate, to bring things within my grasp, to feel infinite within my grasp, this, this is not possible. Hmm? And we want to do away with this counting altogether. You can, begin, you can count on that idea, hmm? and then you can start to calculate why I should practice spiritual life and so forth. That's important. But in the school that we're in, it will reach our bhakti, a pitch, that there's no thinking about it. Hmm? You've identified with Krishna as if he's, if he's, if he's yourself, practically extension of your own self. It's called pranai. Hmm? Pranai. Hmm? Like I said before, if you bump into somebody in the, on the street and you go, oh, I'm sorry, excuse me. He goes, yeah, yeah you, sh- you should excuse yourself. <laughs> You've got cooties or something. <laughs> you know, you kind of, because you don't have any love for the person. But if your friend comes up and just slaps you on the back and you, and you oh, that's my friend. No problem. Because hmm? hmm. you, by love, you 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 have extended yourself into them, identified with them. Consciousness has the power to extend itself into things, into others, and and we're identified with that. So it's like ourself. So to become identified with the absolute like this, this is what's going on in the Braj Lila, in this Brindaban Lila. Hmm? So it's a big thing. It's a high, high thing on the scale of serving even. There's no calculation in their service. They don't think I should serve because it would be good for me because it would make me happy because I've been taking and, uh, and it's, uh, it's, not, or it's Vishnu. He should be served. He's God. Christian doesn't even appear God. Like he doesn't have four arms, which is, means he can do everything. Right? Like I've said before, Mother says, what do you think? I've got four arms? Take, you know, sit down, be patient. The implication is if you had four arms, you could do it. So God is depicted as four-armed. It means he can do everything. Hmm? Krishna is depicted, depicted ideally two-handed. It means his godhood has been put, kind, of, kind of be put aside hmm? for the sake of intimacy and devotion because a certain type of devotion he's been approached with that's so overwhelming that attracts him, that affords him intimacy with his devotee, where he's not like sitting up there and people are oh worship and then that's there's some distance there's the there's the worshiper and then there's the worshipped hmm. in the school of bhakti of chaitanya we want to bridge the gap between the worshiper and the worshipped where you become the worship hmm. and the worship is love hmm. love is it speaks about a unity worship speaks about some noble difference hmm. The, the object has to become one with the, with, with, with the love. So he comes down off of his throne on the force, the power of that love. Hmm? So this is what this verse we're going to talk about, <laughs> we're getting to, is about. Hmm? Hmm? This, guy, this devotee was doing this kind of service, we can assume, in the Kumbha Mela. Hmm? When the guy walked down the water and everybody said, whoa, that's power, that's, he's divine. This one devotee wasn't impressed. And they said, why are you not impressed? He said, well, I don't know, I could, take a, I could go across the river for a rupee. <laughs> if 
for one rupee I can go across the river on a boat, so why should I spend my life walking on the... <laughs> there are more important things to do. Hmm? Something like that. Hmm? So there may be all kinds of ways along the spiritual path to acquire powers and impress other people, impress yourself, even deceive yourself. Hmm? Spirituality is really so extraordinary that, it, that, that, it's, that it's like the nose on your face or like the hat on your head. And you go, where's my hat? Where's my hat? It's right there, you know. You, you can. There's an example Pujabhadrita Marsh gave when Alexander the Great, he conquered India, well, kind of, um, in times gone by, and there was the Gordian knot that was said, whoever can can um, untie this knot, hmm, will, will conquer India. I guess it was I don't know where it was in Greece or something like that, in Turkey, Turkey. Thank you. And so all these big, powerful warriors and kings came and tried to undo the Gordian knot, and they were unsuccessful. I think Alexander was a young, young man at the time. He said, "I can do it." And everybody said, oh, "Yeah, okay, go on and try." So he walked up to pull out his sword and cut the knot. Everyone, oh, anybody could have done that. <laughs> well, you said untie the knot. I've untied the knot, and he became the conqueror of India. So it's some kind of special common sense. It was said. I'll give you another example. Whoever can stand an egg on its end can cross the ocean. Hmm? In other words, nobody can cross the ocean. That's the idea. Columbus said, I can do it. He took the egg and went, like that. And he stood it on its end. <laughs> Made a little dent, you know. And, then, and Oh, anybody could have done that. But Columbus crossed the ocean. So common sense is not very common in this world. Bhakti has a kind of a common sense. Well, what's the common sense? Why are we in this world? We have an enjoying ego, a taking ego. So the antithesis of that must be the spiritual in one sense. That's the, the serving ego. Hmm? And there's no big flash with that. You know, there's no big special um, thing that necessarily comes with that. Anyway, so he was not impressed. Hmm? There are all kinds of powers one can get by all types of methods. So in Puri... This fellow had these powers, and he was saying, I'm Vishnu. Hmm? And, and please send your wives to me. And Bhaktivinoda said, this isn't Vishnu. He's got maybe some little power, but the power of Krishna and Bhagavatam. Hmm? <laughs> this, this is the Aishvarya that Vyas and Sukadev have showcased in relation to his sweetness, his humanness. This is, this is a super extraordinary. Hmm? So... One who understands that then won't be cheated by the f- false so-called incarnation of Krishna. So anyway, Bhaktivinoda went to arrest the man. Hmm? And then he got some villagers to help him, but they were afraid. They said, you know, he's Vishnu, he's Vishnu. You know, don't go, you know, he's an avatar. Don't get too close. And Bhaktivinoda said, he's not an avatar, I tell you. We'll get close. And he got close and the man went like this. And fire, circle of fire came. And then all the people said... They told Kedarnath Bhaktivinoda, "Come on, let's, we got to get out of here. You know, you 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 you're making a mistake." He said, "No, we'll go forward." Hmm? And somehow they went forward, and he got with a couple of people, and they arrested the man, they put him in jail. Hmm? And then Bhaktivinoda was a magistrate, so he presided over the trial. He was being tried for imitating Vishnu. Only in India you can do this, <laughs> imitating God, <laughs> and uh, and and then just engaging in you know what. Uh, uh, deteriorating the moral fabric of the, of the community. So, um, 
So during the trial, Bhakti Vinod had ten children. See the power of Bhakti had ten children, so he was a great. He couldn't get distracted by all that, which could be pretty distracting. And uh, he, and one after another, his children became sick with a fever, high fever. His wife became sick with a high fever, as the days of the trial went on. It went on for days. It was one of these like CNN trials, you know, and everybody's tuning in. What what's going to happen next, and so forth. And one after another. So by the yogi's power, they were, they, these family members were getting sick. And they told, and they started telling Bhakti and other people, you know, you got to desist, you got to desist from this. Hmm? He went forward, and the last day of the trial, he got a fever, high fever. And he said, he dragged himself to the court, and all evidence was there, final pronouncement, guilty. Hmm? And then they put him in the jail, and they cut off his dreadlocks, his hair. Hmm? Then he collapsed. He had all his power, there's a way to do that, in his hair. He collapsed, no power. And then he was in jail after a few days, he hung himself. Hmm? So-called Krishna. Hmm? So, uh, if we understand bhakti properly from good sources, it would not be cheated by such people. And, and the Aishvarya of Krishna is so extraordinary, the godliness, the opulence, the powers that he showed and so forth. I mean, they're just super extraordinary as showcased in the Bhagavatam. When we look at that and his human-like activities, dancing with the gopis, for example, in relation to that, we can understand this is something different than what it looks like on the surface. And Sukadeva, again, who spoke the Bhagavatam, he's an example. He was completely self-realized. He had no interest in anything material. This is exemplified by his being naked, only. He walked naked everywhere. And we'll see some naked sadhus in the Kumbh Mela. There was a naked sadhu in Vrindavan one year. I was there with some other devotees in, Vrindav- in, in Vrindavan. And, and Vrindaranya went out to get some things years ago in the marketplace. There was this naked sadhu who was walking around. He saw her and started chasing her. <laughs> She's a young, blonde, American girl, you know. He started chasing her. She had to run and jump on a rickshaw and two guys protected her and beat the guy and so forth. This was a guy from, you know, the Himalayas, so-called naked. They imitate Sukadev, the, uh, the Nagabab, you know. Some of them are better than others, I suppose, but um, that's the kind of thing. We, <laughs> we watch out for that. So uh, Sukadev wasn't like that. Therefore, he was elected to speak. The, the king, the, the setting of the Bhagavatam, the king is going to, has been cursed to die in seven days, so he goes to the bank of the Ganges, he's fasting for food and drink, and he says, what's the most important thing one can do at the time of death? And people from all over India are coming and sharing from different paths of knowledge, coming and sharing, what, you should do this, you should do that, you should do this. Hmm? The Bhagavatam is a whole comparative religion study, par excellence. Hmm? All these people coming, offering their solutions, and suddenly the boy Sukadev appears on the scene, and people could understand. He knows the answer. He solved the problem for, of death. He has no attachment to anything. Because the problem of death is we're attached to something we can't keep. Therefore, it becomes a problem. Hmm? Therefore, there's fear. Therefore, there's anxiety. They could understand. He solved the problem. They gave him the seat of esteem. Hmm? He spoke about the love affairs of Radha and Krishna. So you have to think, well, those love affairs are different than they might sound. Or so, you have to look. It's love, as I said earlier, camouflaging itself. Therefore, Nityam Bhagavata Sevaya, the book says. You understand this, you have to study very, very carefully. Hmm? 
what's being said, what is the underlying philosophy, what are the implications of this leela that's being depicted. Hmm? Otherwise you may mis- mis- misunderstand. Hmm? But it is this leela, then, that Krishna appears in the world to showcase, nonetheless. Hmm? And this verse here, it says like this, he says, Anugrahaya bhaktanam manusham deham asrita. Astita, excuse me. Bajate tadrisha krida ya shutva tat parobhavet. Krishnadas Kaviraj books this verse in Chaitanya Charitamrita. When he's speaking about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's descent, he first speaks about Krishna's descent. Because Krishna comes at the end of the Dwarpa Yuga, once in the day of Brahma. And in that particular Dwarpa Yuga, followed by a particular Kala Yuga, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu appears, the Ankar appearance of Krishna. Hmm? So he says, Krishna comes to the world to showcase his Vrindavan Leela. As I said earlier, for those sadhakas who are suffering the pangs of separation, their sadhana has reached such a pitch hmm, that they have to have union with him. He has to meet them. So he appears in the world, Paritanaya Sadhanam, to protect them from their longing to be united with him. Hmm. That's why he comes. But there's also the, the, the kind of residual effect that while well, the Leela has been showcased in the world and you could hear about it and and be charmed by that. Hmm? So that's what this verse says. It says, when, Krishna, when the Godhead, when Brahman assumes a human-like form hmm, as Krishna to show mercy to his devotees, hmm, then he engages in such pastimes as these, Prakshat says, or Sugadev says, that will be so powerful and so compelling. The word bhavet is used, it's in, it's in the imperative, Krishnadas tells us, that people must become, must pursue that. It's so extraordinary, they feel like, I must follow that. It has that power. So there's, he, he comes particularly for his devotees. And what we see is, Krishna in love with his devotees. That's the Leela. And we think, this is extraordinary. Hmm? And we meet a devotee who's, who's taken by this, who loves Krishna. And we think, that's extraordinary. It's, we, 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 it's like you, you, almost, you almost stop thinking. I want to, just something about that. I've, I've got to, got to um, find out what it is. I'd like to be involved in that. Something like that. So he says, when... Krishna displays his leela, then this residual effect is that people become, they must become attracted, they must follow it. So when, when we get this sense, hmm, then in a broad sense, we now have the adhikar to tread the path of bhakti, and this is a path of rag bhakti. Hmm? This is not a path of worshipping God in awe and reverence. That's another type of bhakti. This is a path of, of uniting with Krishna in intimacy. And this is what the Braj Leela is all about. Krishna says it beautifully in, we, when it, in the context where he quotes this verse in Chaitanya Charitamrita. He's voicing through his pen the thing excuse me, of Krishna. Worship that's done of me out of devotion because I'm God and all, that doesn't do much for me. Hmm? In my form as Vishnu, Narayana, forearm form, I accept that kind of worship. But me, it, it doesn't really do much for me. It, it's, not, it's not very attractive. Hmm? It's a very like 
love with the brakes on, kind of. Hmm? What I like is something more reckless. <laughs> Push the pedal down and just all gas, no brake. Something like that. <laughs> that that's what I'm about. Hmm? That's what when I I'm the personification of love, and I've got the pedal down to the, me, the pedal metal to the pedal so pedal to the metal. So that's what I'm about. And so if any. <laughs> If anybody becomes interested in that, well, I become interested in them because most people are not interested in that. Yeah, all kinds of people are interested in me, Krishna says. Hmm? People, yogis, worship me for eternal life. Jnanis also, they want to be liberated from maya. Hmm? They worship me for different practices. Some people worship me to to live in my world where they can always worship me uh, with reverence and so forth, and be, be mukted, be liberated and so forth. People come to me for all kinds of things. People come to me want things from me. Oh, I give them things. They want eternal life. I give them that. They want devotion and, and reverence. Okay, we take that. But who's interested in me? And what I'm about? I'm Rasaraj. I'm just driven by, by anandam. Ananda means love. Like I said, the jnani loves to exist. Hmm? The yogi loves to exist and know, and the devotee exists and knows to love only. Hmm? This is a better idea. To exist to love, hmm? and to know only much as what is necessary to love, because there's so many things you could know. It could just be a burden. Hmm? Love is essential kind of knowing. Love is the best kind of knowing, and love is the a loving existence is the best kind of existence. So sat is full, chit is full, ananda is full. Hmm? In the worship of Bhagavan and Bhagavan Swayam, this is the full face of, of Krishna, God Himself. It means God Himself. It means when God wants to be Himself, it kick back. Hmm? so to speak. And who will he be with then? In intimacy. So Krishna says, who's interested in me? Let, they are, my entourage, let me come with my entourage and showcase this, see if I can attract anyone. Hmm? And the power of having attraction for that Leela, hmm? this is the central um, aspect, hmm? the hub around which the whole sadhana of Rag Bhakti moves. That's why Prabhupada, for example, wrote his Krishna book, the tenth canto, describing all these leelas, and gave it to us first, practically. Hmm? He said, we've got to get a little, little taste for that. I, ideal, that will drive you. Then, then you learn so much philosophy about it and what it means and so forth and, and so on, as much as you need to. If the taste is strong enough, it will just drive you in itself. Hmm? We have the taste for this lawless love of God, if you will, and then, then we, but we then we turn to the Scripture, nonetheless, as to how to get it, because that information is there in the Scripture. Like Ishan said, we could figure out a lot of things on our own, but we couldn't figure out this Krishna Leela. You might figure out on your head there's a difference between consciousness and matter and discipline to try to arrive at that, and so. But to, to enter into Krishna Leela, that, that requires some help. So Shastra is there for that. And it, sh and it teaches the way. Hmm? 
So the rag bhakta follows the scripture hmm, to pursue his or her ideal that's come as a result of hearing about Krishna. Hmm? It means having an attraction for that, having a greed for that. And I've heard about that, and I, I can't be satisfied with anything else. Hmm? Long ago, another devotee told me, you know, not all the devotees go to Golok. Most of them go to Baikuntha. I was a young devotee at that time, and I just couldn't digest that. I said, that's not going to be me. You're kidding. <laughs> no, it's not like that. He was wrong, of course. <laughs> huh? No. So we become attracted to this. This is what Chaitanya Mahaprabhu also came to give through Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. This, we, we're attracted to this idea. A little attraction, a little charm. Hmm? We have a lot of other interests and so forth, but when we settle it all out, this is our main interest. We have to say it. After you do this and that, and, yeah, it wasn't so good. Then I really get busy with what I'm really interested in. We get some material thing, comes and we feel, I should do that. And then we do that, have a baby or whatever. And then, you know, whatever it is. But then you, when I'm really interested in it comes, to, I, I get the agitation out of the way. And then when I'm really interested in it comes, to, let's get down to what's really important, something like that. So this is center in our life. That's why we're here. Hmm? That's why we're on this path. That means you're all rag bhaktas. But the ruchi for the rag, the taste for that, that drives it, is not very intense. Hmm? We have attraction to someone who has a taste, so we center ourselves around such a person, the sadhu, the guru, and so forth. Then we try to follow, imitate as they're doing, and so follow the teaching, and so forth. So this is called ajataruchi, bhakti. Without ruchi, when you've got ruchi, you hardly need to use your intelligence. You just go with it naturally. Then it, it, rag comes, attachment comes, rag comes, uh, rati, bhav, and... And, and this is churned to prem and love and so forth. So this is the downhill slope from there. But we are now you're going on the uphill slope. So someone's up above, we throw down a rope, we attach ourselves to that person and try to go up the hill to make our practice strong. We can see the other side into the valley of love. Then there's still some distance to go, but the downhill slope is easy. Hmm? So that means he's got a ruchi there. Going down, running into the valley of love and attachment for that. So now we have some little, little bit of greed. What is the evidence of that? This is what we're interested in. Hmm? We we want to go to Vrindavan. We want we want to serve Radha and Krishna day and night. Hmm? What is it? Jivane, Mar- no, Jivane, Nidhane, Nityam, Radha Krishna Gatim Mama. Day and night, this is what I want. Service of Radha and Krishna, this is my ideal. Pratridine, this he says in Bengali. Day and night chanting, serving Radha and Krishna, this is Raghavakti. Even while sleeping, he will come to that, serving Radha and Krishna, awake within, so forth. So, it has to come to that. This is, That's just the beginning. So we have a little interest in that, a little greed in that. So this is our ideal. Hmm? We attach ourselves to have someone who has more greed than us, and we follow. But this is then what is central to that following. This is called bhavamayi, svabhishta bhavamayi. Hmm? The central practice, if you will, to rag bhakti is to 
be filled with the with the bhava. So bhava is a kind of practice also. Bhava is a kind of perfection. It's a kind of practice. We do sadhana, means bhakti and practice to get bhava to attain bhava. And bhava is a ray of the sun of prema, which is our goal, love. Hmm? Ecstasy is a ray of the sun of prema. So we cultivate that ray, hmm? and the direct cultivation of that ray, hmm? that that feeling. This is what I want now. Our feeling for that, our greed for that, our interest that is very, is minimal. Hmm? But it's got us here. Hmm? It's not very refined. Some of you will be more refined than others. You should think at least. I want Vrindavan Bhakti. Hmm? Then you think, I want Vrindavan Bhakti as a gopa, as a gopi. Hmm? And time will become more clear and more refined, that will become more specific and so forth as you progress. And then the Guru is always looking for some hint from the practice. He thinks, I've given the mantra, I've given the name. So something will be coming from that. And he thinks some of them are coming from previous lives also. Hmm? either born in good families in the West, for certain reasons, maybe they're born in Vaishnava families, so he's looking always for some, so that, that the bhakti will speak to him, so that he can guide the disciple. Acha, ah. Hmm? Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasthi Thakur asked Sridhar Marsh once in the Brajmandal Parakram, so what is your favorite place? He said, I like this um, Terakadamba. I like that. Aha, uh-huh, okay. Then some years later, they would go every year for this Maybe go around the Vrindavan place of Krishna's pastimes every night camping and doing Harikata, talking about Krishna next night and Kirtan all the way to the next place, the camp, and then like this. They go to all the holy places, places of Krishna's pastimes. So after some years, uh, Bhaktisanta said something about, someone was speaking to Sridhar Maharaj, said, and that place of yours, Terkadamba. <laughs> and Sridhar Maharaj said, Oh, he wasn't asking that in an idle way. Just, what place do you like? You know, he said, oh, "That is your place there, mm-hmm. Terkadamba, Acha." Uh huh. So he would. Uh, so he. We don't. <laughs> it's not. He may ask, "Where are you from?" Hmm. Uh huh. What What uh, kind of work do you do? What kind of you know, all kind of thing, depending how much their background is in bhakti, it will come out even in their ordinary life in this world. We'll just speak them in the context of their bhakti and so forth. So Bhaktivinoda Thakur says, the Guru is looking for the ruchi as it comes, then he helps to edit and guide and, and help us to cultivate our bhavamayi, however little that is, hmm? to refine that. So this is the, this is the direct culture hmm? of Bhakti. And then we come to the bhavasambandhi. Bhavasambandhi means to engage in the things that are that are, somebody means related, related to the direct mood. Hmm? You see, the direct mood is means, I would like to serve Krishna in Vrindavan. Let's keep it real generic. As I'm saying to you, what is the power of this? I've already explained it to you. Krishna is attractive. Nobody's interested in that. People want eternal life from Krishna. They want things from Krishna. They want mukti. Hmm? But not me, he says. You're interested in me. In the way that I'm served by Radha, by Subal, by Jashoda, by all these paradigmatic figures in the Leela, you're interested in that, who, who, which is non-different from me. A form I'm in means I'm Brahman, but I've become like this, like a, like a son in their hands, like a lover, like a friend. You're interested in that. 
That interests Krishna. Hmm? See how powerful that is? You want to get his attention. You think, oh, I see how Lalita is serving, how Subal is serving. I'm interested in that. Hmm? He thinks, well, you're really interested in me, aren't you? Because I've given myself to this kind of devotion entirely. I'm purchased. That's what I am. Krishna means Brahman, the Godhead, purchased by the devotee. Hmm? So you're interested in that. That's so rare. Nobody's interested in me, it seems. I, I showcased my Leela, and some people have heard about it, and they feel like they must go there. So he says, yes, you must. Now I'll send you a guru hmm? also. And then you learn from him systematically how to come to me. Hmm? But please keep that culture, that, 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 that this is the central idea. You want Vrindavan Bhakti. Hmm? Gradually it will become more refined. How? By doing things that are related to that mood. So, Shravanam Kirtanam. This is so related to the mood that it also constitutes the mood in its perfect, perfect stage. Hmm? So we do Kirtan of Nam, for example, Harinam, the name of Krishna, Hari Krishna. We do that; it will, it it it, it will, it's re, it's related to it. It's these are names of Krishna. Krishna is, Krishna Hari. Hari is the favorite name, for example, in Vrindavan of Krishna, because it means who steals away, and he has taken away our heart. So they think Hari, oh, this is their pathetic condition, it's completely stolen by their hearts by Krishna. So Hari Krishna Ram like this, and other ways to understand Hare Krishna mantra, but this is particularly these, this Nam mantra has been given by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Certainly this is uh, related to the, to the Baba Mai, the direct uh, mood. Hmm? Hmm. And especially as we receive it through our Guru Parampara, which is the channel for this. Hmm? Our the succession of teachers and, and students and so forth over, over hundreds of years. So so that chanting is both directly related to the mood and when you become fully situated in the bhava, that, that chanting will also be there. And it, it will be the mood, it will be bhava mai. You understand? It, it's sambandhi, sambandhi, bhava sambandhi, and in its perfection it's bhava mai as well. So this is very related to the mood. You will do chanting to cleanse your heart and so forth. And when you enter the perfection of your mood, that chanting will always be there. So Ram Ram Mahabaho and Gopi Gita there chanting, doing kirtan and so forth here. So this is primary. Then there are other things, and, and these are nitya. In other words, in our practice, we will always chant. We'll be, we'll take the initiation, and we'll we'll have an arrangement with the guru. How many times you will chant on the beads in a day, and you follow that and as the taste comes. You increase, so we do that always, without fail. We do that every day. And other practices we give, we follow those without fail. That's this. Our 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 life starts to orbit around this hub of our of our practice. That is the direct cultivation, sambandhamayi, baba sambandhi, directly related to the baba mai, to the being filled with the mood. So the, these are eternal. Then there are occasional things that we do. That are bhava sambandhi, direct related, directly related. Hmm? So we come then to what to today's subject: observance of janmashtami. Hmm? This is an occasional duty, and we do it every year, but it's occasional because it doesn't. Do, we don't do it every day. 
or we observe the Akadasi on the eleventh day of the waxing and the eleventh day of the waning moon. This is Hari Bhasha, uh, the, the day of Hari, and there are certain practices that go with how to observe that. Upavas, for example, we'll be observing Janamastami in what two days, and we do uh, Upavas means fasting. Hmm? So we fast until midnight. Krishna appeared at midnight, and we are up all day doing things like this, all day long, hearing, chanting, occupying ourselves in ways that upavas. Upavas means fasting, but it means more than that. Vasa means residence, upa means close. So it means to reside close, to come close to Hari. Hmm? And so how you come close? By hearing and chanting about him. Just like if I'm in the next room and I hear you talking about me, what are they saying? I don't go there. Huh? Some flattery? Hmm? So uh, so then Krishna will be attracted like this, you know, to this idea. Hearing and chanting about him. Hmm? And we, we won't even spend time for eating, so fasting is like secondary. But In other words, but if we do spend time for eating, so usually the Ekadasi or Janamastami would be reserved by strict fasting from food and, and, and water. Hmm? Right? But then we have seen over the uh, generations, sometimes that there is, it's modified. The modification of it does not make it less. In other words, the main staple for the vegetarian is grains, rice, wheat, then fruits and vegetables, milk, and augment that. Hmm? So we avoid at least any grains. Hmm? Does this make the bow less? No, because why you have taken, let's say, milk or fruit hmm? on Ekadasi or on Janamastami, for example, when you're supposed to fast all day, and food and drink, you, you're observing less. No. We are only taking so that because our particular condition is such, without taking a little something, I'll be impeded from hearing and chanting attentively about the Krishna, hmm? which is the main idea of the of the observance. Hmm? In other words, if you can get so absorbed that, that, that you don't have time for eating, then you fast. If, you, if, if, if it's gnawing on you so much, you have to eat a little something, you can't pay attention. Eat but not grains. It's like eating but not eating. Hmm? Eating grains is like, if you go to South India, they don't, well, not, things have changed now with industrial society, but it used to be, if you go to South India, there's no wheat. They grow rice there. So if you go for the meal, meal means rice. If you, if you, if you didn't eat rice, you didn't eat. And in the North, if you didn't eat chapati, wheat, you didn't eat. In America, it's like if you don't eat meat, you haven't eaten, something like that. So <laughs> you didn't eat anything yet. So, uh, <laughs> so, so we don't eat the grains means we didn't eat. You might have to eat something. But if you, if you don't, that, then uh, that's good. But the real idea is that to get absorbed in hearing and chanting. This is upavas. This is one of the, this is what the, really the janmastami is about. It's an occasional duty, but it's, it, it's, it, it, and the codice is a similar idea. And other observances, like the observances of the appearances of other avatars and so forth. Hmm? But uh, this being, uh, Krishna being our Irish to Devata, this is the main one for us, Janmastami. So we observe the vows and it, we understand it in this way. Why we do it? Because it is Baba Sambandi. Hmm? It's said that by observing the Akadasi, hmm? Bhuvinda comes on one's mind, you see? So it directly promotes smarnam. Hmm? which is the main internal practice 
of rag bhakti as we become qualified that that comes on this internal meditation so this is anyway what the how we understand janmashtami <laughs> as far as a practice a vow why we observe it it is an occasional but but really mandatory if you will activity it's a rule of love huh? to celebrate your loved one's birthday in this case as it, as it turns out so we'll stop there there are other things. So I'll go on just briefly. From Baba Sambandi, hmm, there's Baba Sambandi that is, full, that, is, that is fully directly related to the mood. It's partially directly related. That's directly and indirectly related to the mood. Like Kartik Brat is considered like that. But then you go from there to Baba Nukul, things that are favorable to the mood. Hmm, the Baba Maida, they're favorable to the mood. Things like um, wearing tilak, hmm? uh, wearing the tulsi neck beads, and so forth. Uh, we'll talk about that because when, when initiation we give the tilak and the beads. We'll be doing that on Sunday morning. So this is favorable. These things are favorable. Then there are things that are they're called. That's called baba nukul. Then there are things that are bhav avirudha. They're not unfavorable. Hmm? You know, like taking care of cows and and uh, other type planting auspicious trees for the service of Krishna. And so, so these things are they're they're very useful also. Then there are then there are things that are bhavbiruda. They're opposed to the mood, to the bhava. So those things we avoid among all the things. For example, that. Rupa Goswami is cited in his Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu for Sadhana Bhakti. Some things are not related to this particular mood that we're talking about of Vrindavan Bhakti because he is giving an overview of the entirety of Vishnu Bhakti. Hmm? Means Vaidhi Bhakti as well as Rag Bhakti. So some things are there for like going to Dwaraka, hmm? like the branding hmm? of oneself with the symbols of Vishnu and other things. So these things, then you sort it out into good guidance. Those ones we won't practice. They're not favorable to the mood. So in this way, this is some just general idea about what we're really involved in and how Janamastami fits in. So we'll stop there. Any question? Yes. Hey, what's the time? Five minutes. Okay. Yes, go ahead, Ishan. Well, there's different ways to think about that, but to live in the Dom, to be a Brajbasi, is it's it's a it's a question of having the consciousness to live there. It's not a physical thing. So there is a protomaya that covers the surface of the Dom that people walk on without actually going there because they don't have the consciousness to enter into what it's really about. So they appear to be on the Dom, but they're only on the surface of it. That's not all bad either, but that's one way to 
understand how they look like they're in the Dham, but if you had eyes to see, then you could fully, you could uh, distinguish appropriately. Still, some of those people, we have some general respect for them, but they may be behaving in a way that's not useful for us. Hmm? Sanatana Goswami was told by Mahaprabhu, go to Bhandava, but don't associate too closely with everybody there. Hmm? The people who are living there, their association may not be entirely favorable. Hmm? You may not be able to learn anything from behavior, except maybe sometimes what not to do. Hmm? Like I went to Radhakund once with some devotees, I was taking them there, and some guy came up to me and said, I'm Brajbasi, you must pay me then I, and, and, and pay your respect to me, then you can see the holy place. Because Mahaprabhu Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has said that, that we should, the Brajbasis are worshipable. Hmm? He was harassing me like this. I said, I said, I said, I'll tell you another thing, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said, Trinadapi, Sunitana, you should be more humble than the blade of grass, expect no honor. Have you heard that verse? Give me. So then one of my disciples was from India, a young, young man, and I said, Come here. I said, Here, here's a donation. I paid my respect to him. I said, I've chosen a different one. How's that? <laughs> and we dismissed him and we went on with our katan, the parikram, and so forth. So, yeah. When you notice Gopi Kumar, you emphasize having that personal touch by Guru, and it helps cultivate the proper look. But Gopi Kumar had no help in that way. Well, uh, Gopakumar met his guru, and um, he, okay. So what you're saying is that the Gopakumar met his guru, but he didn't get any really much instruction from his guru, and um, he was given the mantra, and then he chanted the mantra, and he was fully successful. Actually, he met his guru again after getting the mantra, maybe in Puri. Hmm? And I think you may find there that that, that's, that that in a hidden kind of way some instruction was given to him, but it's rather minimal, whatever, if at all. Um, and so, um, your question basically is that, well, that I had spoken about the guru's role in helping us as the mood comes out to edit that and to refine that and so forth. Um, but here we have an instance where the guru didn't appear to do that. And so... In his Raghavard Machandrika, then, uh, on this subject, Vishwanath Chakravartin Thakur has explained that that um, editing, if you will, refining of the mood and, and focusing on it, it can come in three ways. One, that the initiating guru helps us with that. Hmm. Two, that in the absence of the of the diksha guru, a siksha guru may help us with that. The diksha guru may have passed away, hmm? for example, and then it, so the siksha guru may come and help me. And that's the second way. Third way is it may come from within, by through sadhana, hmm? through the spiritual practice directed by the guru, sincere disciple. It, it can come of its own. He cites a verse. I forget it now from Bhagavatam too. Uh, illustrate his point. So, those three options are there. It might be one, two, three, or one, two, and three, or partially of each, or, or what? Hmm? I mean, later, Sikhs and Gurus directed him as far as that. And then, as you said, the Sikhs and Gurus came back. So, here, it's something like that. 
Right, right. He had Siksha Gurus along the way. He had Narada, Uddhava, he had Siksha Gurus. They were helping him. Hmm. Or, it, and it depends on the, you know, the strength sure, of our... Pushing with, him with the mantra at every stage. Right, from within. So, mm-hmm. any question? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And the Krishna mantra is glorification of Radha Krishna. And I'm not in the question. I'm, you know what I'm saying? You're not in the what? In other words, when, when you're chanting the Maha Mantra, it's all focused on glorification of Radha Krishna. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now it's like one is stepping aside to glorify. So in the Gopal Mantra, it's like I am offering my life. Well, uh, we say that the the, 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 the Nam mantra that you're referring to, Hare Krishna mantra, is in the vocative case. The Gopal mantra is in the dad dative case. So the dative case means um, to Krishna, to Govinda, I offer myself, swaha, like that. Mm-hmm. So it it is a it is a it promotes within us this dedicating, sacrifice, surrender, submission, this all relative to sadhana bhakti. Hmm? Bhav bhakti is more of a longing. Submission is accomplished. Longing and love is there. Hmm? Um, so the, the two are characterized differently in this way. One by submission, and there will be prayers of submission, and then in bhava bhakti by longing. Uh, and this is the direct, again, cultivation of that, that mood, right? So the Hare Krishna mantra, being in the vocative case, it's it's kind of celebratory in a sense, in one sense. So people just go, O Hari, O, o Krishna, O Ram, hmm? O Radha, like this. Hmm? Uh, it means, O Krishna, instead of to Krishna, I offer myself. Hmm? O Krishna. So it, it, it functions on two ends of the spectrum, in the beginning and at the end, whereas the mantra, Diksha mantra, comes in between. So on the one end, on the low end, people go, oh, Hare Krishna, whatever, you know. Without thinking or anything, people go, Hare Krishna, they can do kirtan, they can see the devotees doing kirtan, and they think, hey, let's dance with the Krishnas. Hare Krishna, you know, like that. They don't know what they're doing, and the name is very generous. It's there, manifesting from the hearts of devotees, on their tongues, dancing, and other people going into other people's ears, and so forth. And so they, they, they people can take advantage. So the name is extending itself, himself down to them, and it's, it's, evocative. It's, 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 it's exclamation. Hmm? Um, then if someone takes up the chanting, hmm, then that chanting, seriously, under good guidance, qualifies one to receive the mantra to, to in a more sophisticated way, cultivate the submission. So, for example, you, you have access to the worship of the deity with the Vaishnava mantra, because the mantra corresponds with the deity worship. So you put them together, and then the Vaishnava diksha then once a card-carrying member has the mantra, can worship the deity, and this becomes helpful for submission. 
Hmm. It's very practical. That's just one example. And, and, and the idea is, well, you've been chanting, you should be able to, you've been practicing sitting still and chanting, or you've been chanting, standing up, whatever, and now you should be able to sit still. So here's the mantra, and, and you chant the mantra, and, and, and the mantra has certain names of Krishna, so you will cultivate through the date of case, the, the, the invoking of the mantra, and a certain, to Krishna, to Govinda, to Gopijanabhala, a certain kind of dedication will start to come within you. It will refine it in a certain way. Then, as that's refined, the mantra's efficacy is reached. Hmm? Therefore, in Bhagavad-bhakti, therefore it said, Krishna, what is that? Krishna hoite, Krishna nam hoite, Hmm. Krishna mantra, hoite pabe, sangsar mochan. By Krishna mantra, Gopal mantra, you get mochan, sar, uh, samsara, mochan, deliverance from samsara. You enter into bhava bhakti, and you have a particular relationship with Krishna that you're cultivating. You're liberated, but cultivating prem. Hmm? And then, but Krishna nam, hmm? uh, is this verse says, it takes one to the lotus feet of Krishna. So the mantra takes us into the relationship and in the name on the other end, the higher end is there. And it's it's an exclamation, Oh Hari, oh Krishna, oh, oh Radha. Hmm? And it's kind of, in, in other words, it's chanted in ecstasy. Hmm? It's being chanted in ecstasy. And this is combined with the internal smarnam and this takes one to Prem. So the name has a as it, it, its efficacy never retires. Therefore, we don't find the gopis or the cowherds chanting the Gopal mantra in meditation, but we do see them invoking Krishna Nam. Hmm? Oh Hari, oh Ram, oh Krishna, constantly. Does that help? Yeah, yeah. So the question is that when we're chanting the mantra, we're we're in the equation because we are offering ourselves to Krishna. When we're chanting the name in a pure sense, then we're not in the picture. But that's good. We want to get ourselves out of the picture. We want to become one with Krishna in love. Hmm? Something like that. Some calculation. Yes. But, whoa, there's so many questions, and you've already had a turn. Rohinananda? Oh, oh, yes. He wants everything. <laughs> Completely. He wants you. Not anything, but you itself. You yourself. Entirely. So we are teaching here a kind of a yoga. Yoga means, from the root Sanskrit, huge, to, to yoke. So to connect, to link up. So we're teaching here how you can completely connect yourself with your source. You are not really your body, your consciousness, and that consciousness is a spark of the fire of consciousness, which is Krishna. So we want to unite you with the fire rather than have you out on the grass where you might go out. Hmm? You might burn a little something there, but you might go out too. I mean, the soul will never be extinguished, but for all intents and purposes, the more you identify with matter and things, the more you become thing-like, matter-like, and your possibilities become limited. So this is a yoga to extricate you, consciousness, 
from your thinking that I'm Haitian, hmm? for example, or I'm a woman, or I'm a man, or I'm an Indian, or I'm an American, or, or I'm cool, or whatever it is. <laughs> I'm a yogi, or, you know, I'm a seeker even. Whatever, so that to separate us from all of that, those are called upadis, like material, like ideas of ourself. Hmm? So you say, what does God want from me? He wants to get rid of all those ideas about yourself that have nothing to do with you. That's a good start. You have all these ideas about yourself that have nothing to do with what you really are. Hmm? So God wants that of you. He wants you to get rid of all those ideas that have nothing to do with you, that you're pursuing, and therefore you're unhappy because you're pursuing a sense of yourself that has nothing to do with yourself. You're really not black or white or man or woman. Now, you understand that theoretically. You go, yeah, I'm not, but I am, kind of, too. You know, So I still identify with that. So then there's a way how to work with that false identification that you have, the context of that, to come out of it. Hmm? So then we teach how to do that here. Hmm? And we look and we see the propensity of a person materially according to their attachments. And then we try to engage them in bhakti in such a way that it parallels their particular attachments and identification so they can come out from underneath that. So the first thing that God wants from us well, he wants us. And so in order to get that, he wants to give himself completely to us. How's that? That's what he wants. But right now, we're not leaving a lot of room because <laughs> we've got all these other ideas about ourselves that we think are important. I've got to eat, I've got to work, I've got to do this. There's so many other ideas that we're chasing, or they're, they're chasing us. And so there's not much time. So he needs to clean those out, so to speak. That's what the chanting is about in the beginning. It's a form of uh, spiritual practice that will, will cleanse us uh, and wean us from these false ideas of ourselves, which aren't really working for us. That's why you're here, because it just kind of like wasn't working. You couldn't quite figure it all out, but it wasn't working, so I, I, I'll go hang out with Swami for a while and see what, you know, what's that like, you know, something. So uh, then this is the beginning. We God wants us to... to um, disentangle us for ourselves, us to disentangle ourselves from false values, a false sense of self, and so forth. And then when, when that's accomplished in the context of pursuing him, then we get a more clear picture of God and what God might want in particular from us. First, we have to know what we are. What, it, what, is it, what does it mean to say that your consciousness not matter? It sounds interesting, but what does it really mean? Hmm? Now, we're consciousness, but we think we're matter. So we're kind of like acting like ice instead of water. What can you do with ice? Cool water. What can you do with water? <laughs> you can make fire with water. You can make electricity like we do in Costa Rica in our ashram there. Microhydro. We, make, we, we generate fire by water. We can swim in it. We can bathe in it. We can cook with it. We can, I mean, water is a lot more subtle, uh, useful than ice. So if you want to know what God wants of us, well, he wants to melt us. Hmm? We're like ice right now and turn us into water, which is what we really are. Hmm? We're atrophied over by identification with matter, which is still and static. So we become static and 
No wonder it becomes a little boring. What do you want to do tonight? I don't know. What do you want to do tonight? <laughs> so, so, you know, when that ice starts to melt, it's like, wow, there's some possibilities here. This, whoa, look at me. I, I, I don't have to figure out what I want to do tonight. It's like, I am interesting. <laughs> I was like, whoa, what I am. It's, uh, and, and, and so then, and then we have some capacity to understand that our source, we're like a drop of the water from the waterfall. So like, wow, what is the waterfall? What is the, what is the ocean? Something like that. So then as we, as I say, as the ice melts, then we know better what we are and then we, then we can understand kind of esoterically, internally, through meditation and with good guidance from our guru, exactly how we can, what, what, what God wants of us in particular. So that's something to think about. Uh, anybody else? Yes. I'm just wondering about faith, faith. to prayer, prayer. Yeah. Without Krishna consciousness, without knowledge of India or Bhagavad Gita. Mm-hmm. As an example, there are some saints from other traditions. Uh huh. Uh huh. I think that. Um, God appears everywhere in every culture to one extent or another. That's a fact. Hmm? If God was going to incarnate in a full in a f- full sense, he'd have to do it somewhere. I guess you could say he could do it everywhere. Hmm? But um, we find of the different avatars and so forth. We study, let's study the Buddha, for example, or study Christ real carefully. If we really look objectively, we see what is the teaching. Buddha is like teaching wisdom of material attachment, how it causes suffering. Christ is talking about sacrifice and so forth. We look at all the different manifestations of God that we know about, really, that different traditions have grown out of and so forth. And then we can see that there are, they, they represent different aspects of the Absolute. When we look at Krishna, if we look carefully with a, with a really, with an eye of knowledge, we can see here the heart of divinity is being represented. Hmm? This is Prem in full. Hmm? It's being fully represented here. Whereas in other incarnations, it's represented to one extent, some aspect of it may be represented. Krishna represents the heart of it. It's not a sectarian idea which is, I don't see where you're coming from, and I can appreciate that. Hmm? Um, uh, the heart is, uh, I mean, Krishna is like the romantic life of the Absolute. It's, these are the comparisons. So this is what it's talking about. If you really study it, then you see this is what's being talked about here, the heart of it. So it's not really culturally um, specific, in a sense. Yes, Krishna's been depicted... In, a, in an Indian sense and so forth, uh, and he appeared in India. Krishna actually appeared there and did these things and so on and so forth. That's true. And mystics have experienced the form of Krishna in transcendence. Now, let's take one in, in you know, what's that? Let's say, well, okay, how about a Native American path or something like that? How's that? Native American? Say, by comparison. Okay. I think we really have to study these paths carefully to see to what extent divinity is is present there. And I don't think they're fully present everywhere to the same extent. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Hmm? 
Let's say, for example, I said you come to eat at my house, and I serve a full meal, and you and your friends come. I serve a full meal, and and some things you like, and some things you don't, right? And somebody likes everything on the plate, once more. Hmm? Your appetite, their appetite, their taste is different. You're eating from the same plate. Your taste and appetite is different. You're eating according to what you want. Hmm? So Krishna says in the Gita that as people approach me, I reciprocate accordingly. So if we were to take Krishna as the fountainhead of all avatars, hmm, as the texts explain, that doesn't tell us not to worship anybody else. It gives us the context of, for worshiping all the other gods and goddesses and avatars and so forth. It gives us a context. Hmm? And so when we worship in the, in the, with them in context then we actually worship the different avatars, gods, and teachers, and so forth, more than if we worship them out of context. Hmm? And it may be that, uh, that, that, that we, we, beca- we become attracted to a, partic- in a, particular, uh, to a particular avatar. Like There are people who, like, um, who, who develop love of God and reverence. I distinguish awe and reverence from a love and intimacy. It doesn't mean love and reverence is a bad thing. That's another form of perfection. Some like that. There are whole lineages for that, for example, in India. So even within India, even within the bhakti tradition, and even within our particular bhakti tradition, we acknowledge different possibilities hmm, of, 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 of love of God, different measures of love of God. Now, we might say objectively, this is the, this is the fullest one. That's one way of analyzing. But if we look at it subjectively, from the vantage point of each individual perfected person will say, that's the perfect one. You understand? Hmm? Some people like to love Krishna as a, as a lover, as a gopi, as a maiden, for example, in his leela. Some like to love him as a friend, herd cows with him and so forth. There's two types of rasa, friendly rasa, romantic rasa. The romantic rasa offers some more intimacy hmm, than friendly rasa. You have friends, right? And you might have a girlfriend. They're, they're different. <laughs> There's a ch- the equation changes a little bit there. Hmm? There's more intimacy. So you could say this, this is the measure of love is stronger. But, but that's just an objective kind of way of looking at it. Subjectively, hmm? Whoever, whatever love of God works best for you, that's the best. So we celebrate that. Hmm? If, one, if one wants to celebrate in friendly love, one wants to celebrate even in love and awe and reverence, if one wants to celebrate in yogic love and meditate on Ishwar internally in Vaikuntha, if one wants to merge in Brahman, hmm, then that's best for them. Hmm? So that way we honor all of them. So within India even, there are many different paths. Within Bhakti there are different paths. Within our particular lineage there are different possibilities of perfection. And all this perfection it's, it, it all has one thing in common. It has no karma, it has no ignorance, it has no repeated birth and death, it has no exploitation to it, and so on and so forth. What we do here is kind of we like excel in the other side of like talking about the different possibilities on the other side. That's, we find that very interesting and compelling. But it all includes the absence of the, of the imperfection. So, so that now that perfection may be attained outside of India also. By, in, in devotion, in a sense, is a g- generic word. So there are people who, without specific... I mean, I have to say that India is pretty 
it's the mother of religion. I mean, that's just an objective fact. That's what India is known for. Hmm? America may be, you know, one nation under God <laughs> or so forth, but, but, you know, even Europe and so forth. Uh, long before uh, uh, Europe found the one true religion, you know, as it's thought of in Christianity, which they peddled based on one um, a miracle. Hmm? In other words, you, you look at it objectively. Europe was full of various miracle makers and pagan God, uh, shamans and so on and so forth who had some insight into nature and and uh, subtle things and so on. And then um, along comes the miracle of somebody rose from the dead. Of course, that's a story. Hmm? Rose from, it's a pretty big miracle comparatively. So at a certain point, Christianity under Paul, I guess, like galvanized the troops around this one miracle and they crusaded all over Europe and shut down all the other shamans and whatnot and said this is the one true religion because look at this miracle. And, and this is the implication of the miracle, they said. Well, God sent his son, his son died on the cross, you know, and shed his blood for us. Then he went into the tomb and he came back from the dead and um, he's going to come again pretty soon. Well, a little later, a little later. <laughs> so anyway... They sold this miracle, hmm? and then and then they sold it to the to the um, Constantine, the emperor, and he like pushed it on everybody else. <laughs> when you conquer the p politician, then it goes everywhere, you know, by the sword uh, and uh, and wealth. Uh, they conquered, and then the pilgrims, you know, who were like oppressed by a particular form of it, you know, came here to America, for example, and. And uh, this is this is Western. Then, then Western. Uh, then when when reason started to get factored into some of Aristotle's unknown books previously, came to light, and then that the hard facts that they re represented had to be reasoned about in Christianity. And there was the beginning of the reasoning, along with faith in Christianity. Then reasoning got the upper hand, started to go on its own, and you have whole Western philosophy unhinged from. From from revelation and so forth, and then and and science, and it's become atheistic in many respects, and and so on and so forth. And there's some semblance of whatever you know Christ was all about is still there. It's, it's questionable, uh, you know, in many of the religiously morally stout sectors of Christianity, how much the spirit of Christ is really present there. So then you have India, for example, East India. Let's go to India. In India, before the Christ appeared, there were the Upanishads. It's the oldest form of revelation. Hmm? And there's the Vedanta Sutra, which is theology, theologizing about the revelation. Hmm? And when Descartes, you know, long after Christ, but still in Christianity's heyday, said, I think, therefore I am. There's a difference between consciousness and matter, he said, in a crude way. This is what he thought. Good idea, to an extent. Um, exactly how he thought about it may not be entirely accurate, but there's some truth to that. There's a difference between consciousness and matter. And then he said, and why? Because I think, therefore, I mean, and I think animals don't think about themselves. Nature doesn't think about itself. I'm different from nature. This is where he went with it. Hmm? And so then Christianity had a license to pillage the earth, and the environmental crisis comes out of that. Now in India, long before Descartes had his 
his light bulb about consciousness, which is his was a kind of a, in a comparatively a primitive argument for God from consciousness. A long time ago, before that in India, they thought there's a difference between consciousness and matter. I'm consciousness, not matter. Hmm? And when I look at the natural world, then, and the life within it, in, in animals, for example, in trees and so forth, I see something that I am different from them, but I see something I have in common with them also. I also see consciousness. I think the animals more like me than not like me, hmm? although different from me quite a bit. And the, the difference is that the consciousness is not as evolved. But there's, a, there's no consciousness there? No, there is. There's no self-consciousness where the consciousness starts to think about itself and philosophize and have a why question. Oh, why am I? Why? What's the purpose? Consciousness in less complex forms of life that hasn't arisen yet. So they think how? How to eat? How to sleep? No. How to mate? Hmm? One of our cows is in heat. If you hear that... <laughs> so you know they think that far. Our cows are different, of course. They think more than us, but about them. But anyway, the basic idea is the less complex forms of life. They thought consciousness is there. There's perception. There's pain. There's life. Life is consciousness. Life in me is consciousness. They don't say they, the, the Vedantins, the yogis. They didn't say, "I believe in a soul." They said, "Experience is what I am. A unit of experiencing." And matter is that which is experienced. It's not a question of positing some belief, there's a soul. They looked at what's there, and they analyzed it. Consciousness is the experiencer, matter is the experienced, I am experience, a unit of experiencing capacity. I'm different from matter. Hmm? And as they started to experience that through practice, they realized, and I'm enduring also. Matter comes and goes in different shapes and so on and so forth. And so they didn't start pillaging the natural world. They had reverence for life. Everything that's there in the shamanism and paganism, if you will, hmm, is there in Hinduism. And everything that came from Christianity, the better part of it, is there as well, you see. And, and then they go, let's go, then go to China. Let's go to, let's go to Japan. What is Buddhism? Buddhism came out of India. Buddhism is Hindu, Hinduism on tilt, hmm, slightly. Hmm. The, the Buddha, was, it's all... It's all based on Hinduism. Buddhism is a reaction to a misapplication of Hinduism. We study it. There were Hindus who thought that the whole idea was to, well, for, for, through ritual and so forth, to develop material acquisition. That's a side of Hinduism, a lower side. And the subtle side about self-realization wasn't as well represented, so he thought, well, he started to talk about the difference between acquiring and being and so forth. And so then Buddhism went into the Orient and so on. So, so India is populating that side of it. The better part of Christianity, if, if, you really, if you really look really like close at Christianity, let's say Islam, you really look close at Islam, where are you going to go? Where you really want to get to close to Islam, what it's really about, you're going to go to Sufism. Not some guys, you know, terrorizing, you know, other people who terrorized them. You know, we go and live there, and then they, you know, they come and terrorize us, and we wonder why. Um, but you know, th that's obviously not, not in the full face of 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 an ex experiencer. I didn't study Mohammedism, Islam too much, but give him some credit, right? Um, he was a powerful person, and so I, I look to Sufism. Sufism. 
You look close at supas, and what do you start finding? You start finding, you start finding vegetarianism. You start finding mysticism. Hmm? Every religious tradition has some mystic side to it, and it has its religious side with it. It's you got to do it like this. You can't do it like that. Fight with the other people because they're not doing it like we are. And then you have your mystic side, right, where these guys can sit together and talk a little bit differently. I think it's like I think it's one. I think it's one and different. You know, might be a little more peaceful. So it's the, 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 the mysticism, if you will, of Sufism, of, of Islam, is Sufism. Now you study Sufism, and you're going to see so much correspondence with, with Vedanta, with yoga. Hmm? If you study Buddhism also, you can find that there are all kinds of Buddhists that come to America from, um, you know, they're born in Buddhist families, something like that, Chinese people. They come here, they're Buddhists, but they're not Buddhists like Americans become Buddhists. They want to become mystics and, and so on and so forth. So, you look at the mysticism of Buddhism, and you look at Advaita Vedanta, and you, it's hard to distinguish the difference. And you can see well, the connection. Now you look at re- Christianity. You really get into Christianity. You want to go to its mystic heart. You look to the saints, the Catholicism, and so forth. Then you're going to start finding... You, you just start finding yourself, I'm coming closer to India. That's what you find, <laughs> these things. They, they, they sold the one miracle of Christ. You know why it never sold in India? You know why Christianity Christianity's gone everywhere? Hmm? You know where it's gone least than anywhere else? That's India. Why? Because it's the land of miracles. We'll see it in a Kumbh Mela. I don't know how many miracles we'll see, but you know, there's all kinds of... I mean, like, so you're also not dead, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like that. So, really, on Earth, why think of it as different countries and cultures? Why not think of it as planetary? We're on Earth. So, God appeared on Earth, in one place, on Earth. Instead of two places, there's only one place, it's Earth. Hmm? Here. In, 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 in the fullness of the Godhead is manifest in the place where he more fully appeared. Where the God, where the, we should draw from there. Now we're in a different culture. Hmm? True, and it's, we're hundreds of years, thousands of years from that. Different cultural sensibilities. And so there are cultural trappings to that. And we can sort out what is useful from that and what is not. Hmm? At the time, for example, of the avatar, of the descent of Krishna, then everything was useful. It's like if I speak now, if I write a book now, everything in it I write will be in relation to the modern time, how we think about it, and it will all like, yeah, yeah. Now you read it 50, 100 years from now. There will be things in there that still go, yeah, yeah, but other things will go, oh, I don't know, it's not clicking. It's using an analogy here that doesn't fit with our society and so forth. Hmm? So when it's current... When the when the when the dispensation is current, oh, it has so much more more um, appeal. Hmm? It's more compelling, and then it, it 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 gathers around it the particular culture, and all of that culture is utilized to explain it and to to uh, uh, share it and so on and so forth. So there are aspects of that that are not going to be useful, hmm? given our time, our culture, our sensibilities. But some of them are. Some of them are beautiful. They should be continued and incorporated and so forth. Some of them shall be left behind as baggage and the essential idea will be taken. And then we will find that essential idea in other traditions as well. We unite with those different traditions on that essential kind of platform and we'll analyze the extent to which the essential application is there is the extent to which their faith will turn into praying. How's that? Something like that. <laughs> Something like that. It's a big, it's a big topic. <laughs>
All right, we're a little going a little late, so we stop there. Prantara Srimad Bhagavatam. Bhagavatam. Bhagavatam.